Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. sat down this week to prepare today's message seemed very simple to me. Uh, It was going to speak on the church covenant. We voted, you know, it's the first Sunday of the year. It's a good place to start, right? We voted a couple of weeks back to adopt a new constitution, bylaws, and covenant. Uh, I think you received a copy of all that this morning. I was sort of gunning for you to get the covenant, but you got the whole deal. So, hey, you got the whole packet you take home. Covenant, I think, is on the back two pages, if I remember correctly. So uh, I'd kept today open on my calendar, as I believe was providential. Uh, When I did my sermon plan months and months and months ago, left today open. I mean, it is the first Sunday of 2020, and we do have to do the cheesy vision thing. But, uh, you know, thought, well, let's, let's, let's do this. This would be good. This would be something good for us to know and good for us to talk about. But I sat down to write. I got bogged down real quick. And it took me four days to understand why. Uh, according to Thomas Schreiner, he is a professor at Southern Seminary, he says a covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to one another. So in order to enter into a covenant, you've got to have something that's, that's very important in common with other people. And then you've got to care enough to be bound to that person and make promises to that person. So in order to discuss the church covenant, we couldn't start by just discussing the church covenant. We had to start with why. What do we have in common that's so important that we would be willing to make promises to each other because of it? What do we have, what do we have in common that is so important that we would be willing to make promises to each other because of it? That's the questions. There are actually two questions in that. The first part of the question is, what do we have in common that's so important? The second part of the question is that we would be willing to make promises to one another. We won't go into all that. I am struggling today because there's 50,000 things in my mind that relate to this. And I want to lay it all out on you at one time. It took me years to learn it, and I'm wanting to give it to you on a Sunday morning, so I'm, I'm fighting with myself here. So let's just go on. A friend called me up this week. It's kind of conversations I have with folks. Called me up and asked me how to read Ezekiel 36. Any of y'all read Ezekiel 36 this week? Well, as it would happen, again, providential as far as I'm concerned, my daily Bible readings that I'm doing, I'm reading through Ezekiel. Kids came down, Christmas happened, all that kind of stuff, and I sort of 
fell off the wagon as far as my regular routine. So I was only in Ezekiel 34. So I thought, well, cool. I'll go out right quick and I'll read Ezekiel 35 and Ezekiel 36. And I found that in 36 and 35 and 34 and 33 and 32, and it may go back just a little bit further, there's a common phrase that keeps getting said all along. These, this, this is prophecy that Jesus is telling telling Ezekiel to tell the people and in some case he says that these people are going to be overrun and these people are going to be destroyed and these people are going to be gathered together and these people are going to be blessed and he's saying all of these things that are happening that we would classify as well that would be good and that would be bad and that would be okay but I wouldn't want to be there for that in all of these things he finishes either starts or finishes or both with a sentence that says this then they will know that I am the Lord their God that's what he says. He does all of that stuff so that they will know that he is the Lord, their God. Now, do you know that right now, even as we speak, that Somalia and Ethiopia are suffering under a plague of locusts? Where did you hear about those kind of things from? I heard it in Sunday school. God sent plagues of locusts across the land they're saying that this is the worst plague of locusts that Somalia and Ethiopia have had in 70 years those of you who are biblical people that number should trigger something in your head yeah that's what weird I wonder what Lord's doing do you know do you know do you know that this week in Stockbridge we had an earthquake 2.2 not much of an earthquake but 2.2 on the Richter scale in Stockbridge. We had that. Do y'all know that uh, this week the United States uh, killed a terrorist, uh, the leader of the terrorist of Iran, and a bunch of people are apoplectic that World War III is about to start. Let's see, we've been in Afghanistan, that's a war. We've been in Iraq, that's a war. They're worried about World War III, that's a rumor of war. Where have y'all heard that before? There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Did you hear about the people that went on the vacation of a lifetime? They went to see a volcano. Did y'all hear about that? It's the last vacation they ever went to because they went to see the volcano right as it erupted. I don't think they found two of them. Just, they're gone. That's a bad vacation, <laughs> no matter how you slice it. So we've got volcanoes erupting, we've got earthquakes, we've got plagues of locusts, we've got wars, we've got rumors of wars. Uh, then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Now here's the deal. We say those things and we feel a little like religious wackos when we say it, don't we? I know I do. People think you're a little weird that God's out here causing all this stuff to happen. And yet we read the scripture. What does the scripture say? It says that God's causing all of this stuff to happen. You see, God's not under the limitation of you thinking he's a weirdo. God's not under the limitation of people thinking that, that what we're doing is, is, is weird and unusual and holy roller kind of stuff. His name's going to be known. That's what he says. His presence will be felt. His ways will prevail. He is God and we're not. And these are parts of the things that we've got to know. The question, what do we have in common that is so important? 
the understanding that he is God and we're not. God does not exist for our good pleasure. God does not exist for our wealth, our health, our prosperity. God does not exist to make us a great country. He is not here to make America great again. Or if you're on the other side of the aisle, he is not here to make us better together. God does not exist to heal our diseases, to pay our bills, to make sure our sons and daughters marry well, that they have successful careers, that we are successful. He exists because he is God. End of the story. He was from the beginning. He will be at the end. There was never a time when God wasn't. Now I'm going to say this, and I'm going to keep saying it, and keep saying it, and keep saying it as long as I'm here. You older folks may or may not get it. You may go, why does he keep saying this? The reason I keep saying this is there are younger folks that I want to hear this, and I want it to be in their noggins tight. God was here in the beginning before everything was. Now, when creation came about, there are two schools of thought. That there's God with an intelligent design that created all that there is, or that there was dirt. Y'all remember me talking about this? That dirt has been here forever. Guys, it takes just as much faith to believe that dirt was pre-existent than to believe that God was pre-existent. You can't explain where dirt come from, came from. Where's my English? Got it right. Where the dirt came from, you can't describe where it came from. You don't know. You're taking that on faith. Well, you know what I'm taking on faith? That God was first, and here's why. When two Chevrolets wreck, I've never seen a Tesla come out of it. Have you? When your car has a wreck into somebody else's vehicle and you back away, is your car better? Is it? I don't think so. Most of you have to have your bumpers replaced, right? Every time we just ding something, $2,000, ding, we keep the insurance guys happy. God does not exist for our good pleasure. God is God. You and I will perish and return to dust, and still God will be. Jesus said, and I've taught this wrong, and, and I'm going to go back and clean this mess up one of these days. But he taught in, in, in John 15. Y'all believe what Jesus says, right? You believe what Jesus says, that what Jesus says is true. Well, then Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus' words, apart from me, without his mercy, mercy, without his grace, we would flit around in life. I've got a, I've got a bird feeder out in, the, out in the front yard that I absolutely love and adore. It is one of my favorite things at my house is the bird feeder. I finally, I finally beat the squirrels. They can't get on it anymore. I triumphed over a beast that has a brain the size of an acorn. I thought that was pretty cool that I could beat him. They can't get on anymore, and I get all kinds of little birds, and I get a special seed. I don't get just any seed. I get a seed that attracts little bitty birds because I like the little bitty birds. And little bitty birds come, and they just flit around, and they'll, they'll feed at one place, and they'll fly up in a limb, and then they'll fly down the ground, and they'll fly up again. And I've got a bully bird. I've got a bully bird. He's bigger than the rest of them. He's got a little fat bottom, and what he will do is when he decides that he wants to eat where you're eating, is he will fly up, and, and I watched him, and he literally goes, and knocks him out of the way. You bully. What are you doing? And they'll fly off and flitter around, and he'll see somebody else, and he'll do the same thing. If, if we did not have the mercies of the Lord, that's us. We're just going to flit around in life like one of those birds, and one day we're just going to drop dead and die and go back to dust again. The difference between us and the birds is this. We have a soul that was created in us to be in relationship 
with God. It's a purpose. And if that soul refuses to have anything to do with God in life, in, in, in spite of the fact that we can see evidence of God everywhere, anybody you look at in this room is evidence that there's a creator. Because I've never seen two Chevys run into each other and cause a Tesla. You, designed by God. The evidence is plain. But if that soul refuses to have anything to do with God, for the, well, then God will just refuse to have anything to do with that soul for the remainder of eternity. His provision will be removed when we die. His common grace that we've lived under all of our lives will be gone. The soul will live apart from God in a place that we call hell as long as God exists. And that's forever. And a few months ago, I would have said that when we recognize a holy God and who we are, I would have said we need to be saved. But I told you, I, at Christmas, I got a present. The scripture we studied at, at Christmas reminded me that, that we're missing one word. We have to repent first. Once we are aware of who is and who we are, once we realize that we're helpless to live up to the requirements of an infinite, omnipotent, and loving God, our choice has to be to fall down before him and say, save us. We have to say this. I know this is heavy. It really is, really, because I want us to think. When you repent, you are telling God this. I will go wherever you want me to go. And I will do whatever you want me to do. I will follow Jesus anywhere he leads me, period. This is one of the things that scares me about it. And I'm not knocking any religion. It's not all bad, but it still scares me. When you have confirmation... Are you just confirming what you learned that you know that there was a historical Jesus that died on a cross and was raised again and you're affirming that, yeah, I believe what the church teaches? That's not salvation. Salvation means that you understand that, you're, that you are a sinner in front of a holy God and you can do nothing, you can do nothing to work your way into his graces whatsoever and you're guilty. And all you can do from that is to fall on your knees and say, save me because you can't do anything to save yourself. And when he says, I'll save you, follow my son, then you say, I will go wherever you want me to go and I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll accept cancer seven times if that's what you want me to have. I don't like it, but I'll do it. That's what we're saying. It's what repenting says. You cannot live a life good enough for God. Jesus said in Matthew, we all believe that what Jesus said is true, right? We said that a minute ago. Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. It's an epic fail on our part to even try to be perfect. There's only one acceptable response. Fall on our face before the Lord. 
He'll tell us to trust Jesus. You heard just a couple of weeks ago, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We trust that Jesus... We trust that Jesus lived the life that we could not live and died the death that should be mine. We trust that Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover all of our sins and to cause us to be accepted by the Father at all times. We trust Jesus to be our God, our protector, our Savior, and our friend. We trust that everything that Jesus taught is true and we're committed to learn what he said so that we can practice it to the best of our ability. We believe, we trust that this grace that saves us is powerful enough to be the grace that keeps us in his presence because we can't hold on tight enough. We believe that we have been born again into a new family. God is faithful to forgive when we repent. And Jesus saves us. He changes us supernaturally. He opens our eyes. We didn't do anything to deserve our salvation. And were it not for the acts of God and his sovereign plan, we would die and live in hell, separated from God for all eternity. Y'all know what I heard a couple of months ago again? It just, it, 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 it saddens me to hear this because it lets me know we've come a long way, but we've still got a long way to go. I had somebody tell me that one of the reasons people have trouble to come to our church is because it's full of rich people. I heard it just a couple of months ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> How's your Tesla doing? Mine's pretty fine outside. But that's the perception is that, well, we are successful. We're generally successful people in this church. No matter what you have ever done, what job you do or what career you've got, we, we're successful but that didn't buy you anything in God's eyes. It didn't buy you anything in God's eyes. He saved you because he chose you. You didn't even choose him. He chose you and he adopted you into his family where you will remain forever. And he did this so that we will know that he is God. This is what Christians believe. Do you believe this? Are you willing today on the first Sunday of 2020 to drive a stake in the ground right here and declare that I believe through Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, that God has saved me, that he's changed me. He's no longer my own. I'm no longer my own. I belong to him and that I will go and do whatever he asks me to do. That one's scary. But I'm asking you, I'm not asking you, do you believe this? I'm asking you, are you ready to live this? I'm not asking you to affirm or confirm anything. I'm asking you, are you ready to give up your life to Jesus? ain't what we're supposed to preach on the first Sunday. I'm supposed to have some cheesy theme about 2020 and the way we... I know, it's heavy. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. 
I know that some of you are already planning your, 21, your 2021 Christmas list right now. You've got groceries on your mind where you're about to go eat because this is, you know, you've heard it and it's whatever. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and ask you all to stand up. Everybody, come on. I'm not playing. We're, we're serious. We're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song and we're going to sing it a cappella. I just about said acapulco. Acapella. And I'm going to turn my microphone off so you can't hear me. But what we're going to sing is we're going to sing the first verse of Amazing Grace twice. Okay, we're going to do it twice. Are you ready? Here we go. Y'all did that good. Y'all be seated. You heard the words, right? Did you listen to it as you sang it? Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I am found. I was blind, but now I see. You heard that? Sounds like a personal confession of faith, doesn't it? This is what happened to me. This is what's going on. And it is a personal confession of faith. Amazing grace did save me. But I have another question I want to ask you. As we sang that, how many voices did you hear? How many voices did you hear? I looked around the room. I saw very few people that weren't singing the song. We were all making the same confession of faith. And that's the basis It's the basis of what is important to us, that confession of faith in Jesus. Now, it's very romantic to say, very romantic to say that if I was the only one alive, y'all have heard this, this this was real popular a number of years back. If I was the only one alive, Jesus would have died on the cross for me. Well, that's all fine, well, and good, but let me help you understand something. You are not the only one alive. So Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for us. He died for us. Again, John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not a child, but children. He created us to be in community with one another. In this day and age that we live, we need each other. There are people who don't even consider God to be a possibility and they've got good arguments. 
And we're going to have to face them day after day. The world is getting a little bit more hostile for us. Some of the things that we believe are not accepted. We need each other. We need each other. God created us to be in relationship with him and each other. Satan is the master of divide and conquer. And the words that I don't need the church, I don't need other Christians, I can worship the Lord by myself wherever I am, I don't need to be in the church, all of those are lies from the pits of hell and they smell like smoke. Are you saying, Randy, you can't worship, I can't worship by myself? No, I'm not saying that. You need to worship by yourself. Have times of worship by yourself, but you've got to have times where we're together. We've got to have times. I look forward to seeing you every Sunday. I hope you look forward to seeing me every Sunday. It makes a difference when we see each other. It makes a difference when we talk to each other. For people to say that I don't need the church, Jesus would just shake his head and roll his eyes. It's not what he's taught, what he taught. It's not the truth. Forever, forever, God has saved for himself a people. Y'all remember the story of Elijah? Some of you may not have heard it, but it's back in the Old Testament. Elijah, he was a big prophet of God, and, and, and he, was, he was a big guy that God called out to do something special. And went up on a mountaintop, and there was all these prophets of this other false religion. And, and they did all kinds of things to try to get their God to send fire down from heaven and consume their sacrifice. It never happened. But when Elijah did his thing, he not only did what they did, but he poured water all over his to make sure that his could not burn any natural way whatsoever. And God sent down fire from heaven and he consumed not only the sacrifice, but the altar and everything around it. And they killed all those false prophets. And I mean, it was a big day. Thump your chest. Wow! We kicked booty today, didn't we? And the very next thing that he did, the very next thing that he did was he heard that the, the, the queen, Queen Jezebel, wanted him dead. And he went, oh my God, I'm going to die. And he ran off to the mountains and he hid into a cave. And in the Randy version of the Bible, God came to him and he said, get yourself up off the ground. Pull your big boy pants on. There are 7,000 of y'all out there. Get yourself up and get to work. Because God always has a people for himself. He always has a people. He did not create us to run solo. He created us to be in community with one another. When we did our single step weekend a little while back, probably four years now, we, we, two things that we came up with, we said we needed more prayer, and everybody there said we needed to build community. We needed to build community. We need to have a group of people that care for each other that are headed in the same direction. We need people that care for each other, that have the same values, that believe that Jesus is their Savior and has changed them and he wants to change the world. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> if somebody robs the Morris Bank, God forbid, we got people that work down there that we know. If, if somebody robs the Morris Bank, what's going to happen? Well, the Sheriff's Department will come, Police Department will come, the FBI will probably come. They'll find the perpetrators, they will put them in jail, they'll take them before a judge and a jury, and then they will uh, be convicted and they'll be sent off to prison. Now, if the person that, that um, robbed the bank lived in Jones County prior to running 
to, prior to robbing the bank, was he a part of the community? My answer would be no. No, he wasn't. Because see, a community is a group of people who make promises to one another. You say, well, Randy, what kind of promises do we make with one another? I got a big one. When the light's red, I'm going to stop. That's my promise to you. If the light turns red, I'm going to stop. If the light turns green and I'm not fiddling with my phone, I'm going to go. Yeah, y'all are too. And don't, don't, I mean, you know. We make promises to one another. This is how we're going to operate. Let me ask you this. You're a member of a civic organization. They have a rule that says that you've, you've got to pay your dues by January the 1st. You don't pay your dues by January the 1st. Are they going to let you come in and just be a member like everybody else? Well, if they value their membership, they aren't because you aren't fulfilling your promise that you made. When I and my family joined First Baptist Church back in 2005, you voted us in. We chose you to come here. You voted in and chose us. So me standing here is your fault. <laughs> you can't blame it on anybody else, can you? We chose each other and we made promises to each other. We promised each other things. It's in the covenant that we've got together. What do we promise to do? It's in our covenant. Fred Allen, Ronnie Rollins, Donna Morrison, a number of other people helped them out, did a tremendous job revising our bylaws and codifying our promises into this document that we call our covenant. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises. Because the community matters. Y'all following me? If we're not making binding promises to one another, <clears throat> as hesitant as I am to say this, if you're just looking for a weekly dose of God, you know, you're supposed to go to church, you need to go to church, so I'm going to go to church. Here's some good music, here's a sermon, give a little bit of money. Go home. For crying out loud, why aren't you going to Ingleside? Why aren't you going to Ingleside? You know Ingleside has three services? You don't have to complain about the music ever again. They've got a, they've got a traditional service that is nothing but hymns. They have a blended service that fits the two together. They have a contemporary service that has lights and a band. And I think they probably do this when they sing because all the contemporary people do that nowadays. There's a girl that sings. I call her the jumping girl because she always does this every time she sings. I don't know. Why don't you go there? You got Tim McCoy over there. Good heavens, Tim's a better preacher than I am. He's a much better organizer than I am. He took, he took Ingleside Baptist Church, which was just like First Baptist Church, been the same size. One of the things we, um, guys, God's got to work on us. We have been the same for 15 years. We say that we're growing and then we slump. We're growing and we slump. We've averaged out the same doggone thing for 15 years. He took a church that was doing that. They have 1,800 people that come every Sunday. They have a budget of $9 million. How many of y'all went to their Christmas thing? Don't raise your hand. It hurts my feelings. I wanted to go myself. I just forgot about it. They put on these, because they, they got people and money. And I, ah, why would you come here if all you want is a God dose? You drive that far to go to the doctor? 
You certainly drive that far to go to the movies. To go to the movies, you have to pass the road to get to them. Why come here? The only reason to come here, we've got good stuff. I'm not dogging us out. But the only reason to come here is to be in covenant with people, to be in community with people that you care about. That these, that these people in this place are your people. And you want more people to be your people. And you love each other and you make promises to each other that, that we're going to invest ourselves in each other. You weren't here because that was in the first service. Um, Wright Barksdale talked about at Laura Lee's wedding seeing men standing in a row and he said what that said to him what, what it made him realize is how many lives in this church pour into every child we've got here how many lives pour into your life here at this church you don't get that by just going to get your God dose somewhere you get that because you come somewhere and you commit yourself to that group and you make promises to that group you see yourself as a valuable team member. Even if you're just a grumpy old man, that, that you've got the grumpy old man thing this church needs because the Bible says that he puts everybody in, right, for the, to fill a job. You have to see everybody else as a team member on the same mission. So that grumpy old man, you've got to see him as valuable in the eyes of God because he's here because God called him here. We make a commitment to one another. Jesus, Jesus addressed this. We believe what Jesus says, right? We've said that several times. Just want to make sure we all understand what Jesus said. It's got to be right, right? Because it's, I mean, it's Jesus. So Jesus said this in John 15. He's getting ready to be crucified. He tells his disciples what's going to happen. He says this, this is my command that you love one another as I've loved you. And then he says a few verses later, I didn't make this up. He said it. You did not choose me. But I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And your fruit should abide, it should grow, it should live, it should do well. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In other words, what he says, if you will do what I say do and go where I tell you to go, I promise you will be successful. I guarantee your success. That's what he's saying. I guarantee that there will be fruit and the fruit will abide. Whatever you ask to make that happen, the Father will give it to you. And then he bookends it with this. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Same mission, same thought, one community. And because we share that, love one another. So, there you go. Before you read the covenant, I want, you to ask you, I want to ask you if this is something that you really want to do. Number one, do you believe what I talked about to start with? Have you made your mind up that whatever God says where he wants me to go, I'll go. Whatever he wants me to do, I'll do. You might go kicking and screaming. That's fine. I've gone kicking and screaming too. But eventually we get there. We go kicking and screaming. We don't, but we do. Have you made your mind up? Number one, do you believe that Jesus saved you from your sins, that you have fallen before an almighty God and repented? And number two, are you willing to make a commitment to the community, 
And when you read this, take it home, pull off the back sheet, set it by your easy chair, and when you sit down in your easy chair every night this week, read it. Read it at least four times. Don't read it once and put it aside. You didn't understand it if you read it once. You've got to read it at least four times. It'd be better if you read it six or seven times this week. Read it and hear it and listen to what it says and ask yourself, do I really want to do this? Is this really what I'm about? Is this what I'm willing to strive to do knowing that I will not do it perfectly? but I hope that I do it well. Is that what you want to see other church members do as well? Are these things that the Lord would require for me? Would this be something the Lord would require require for us? Are these things something that I am willing to do? Let me tell you something. These are things that I feel called to do. And I promise you that I'm going to try to uphold the covenant among members and the covenant among the pastoral staff, which is on the back page, I believe, with everything I've got. Y'all, when, when a pastor gets caught doing something he shouldn't do, I feel bad because I feel like he has broken part of his covenant to me because I strive not to break the covenant with him. We make promises to one another. We'll do the best we can. We will fail. We will falter. But still it hurts when the failure comes because we want to be like Jesus. Last thing, real quick. Sunday, January the 26th, not June, January the 26th at 2 p.m. I said June in the first service. Sunday, January 26th at 2 p.m. we're going to have our first committed covenant class For people considering to be a member, wanting to be a member, I want to invite all of you to come to that class. We're going to go through, we're going to go through this, front to back, two o'clock on the fourth Sunday of January. We're going to be there, invite everybody to come so we can go and we can talk through this line at a time. I look forward to us all standing proudly before the Lord and saying in agreement what is the last thing on that page. I believe it's the last thing. With Christ as my Lord and Savior, being baptized by immersion after my salvation, being led by the Holy Spirit, and being in in agreement with the First Baptist Church of Gray's Covenant, I joyfully unite with the church and commit myself to God and the other members. That's the vision for 2020. Let's go where God wants us to go. Let's do what God wants us to do. As believers in Jesus Christ who have committed ourselves to him, let us commit ourselves to each other to build a community of Christ in this place that has love as its primary first motivation and will share God's love everywhere he lets us go. Y'all pray with me. I guess, Lord, I don't have to remind you that I'm not Tim McCoy. But, I, Lord, Lord, I know that Tim wouldn't be anything without the Holy Spirit. Lord, I did what I think you wanted me to do this morning. We struggled and we wrestled. 
you didn't clear up some blind spots until this morning. But I believe we said what you wanted to have said. I pray, pray that your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. Lord, I'd like for us to be proud of our church because we're proud of what Jesus is doing in our church. Lord, I pray that you would convict us in our promises to one another. That we wouldn't want to let each other down. And Lord, that we would be willing not only to give criticism when it was needed, but to accept it as well. That we will have accountability both ways. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. Help us to want what you want. Without you, we are nothing. Please, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.